Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Rob Armstrong, who starts next month as our US finance editor. Welcome, Rob. And also Ben McClanahan, until recently our US banking editor and now our Lex columnist. We're also joined by Gabriel Wildau from Hong Kong. And today we will be discussing from Hong Kong the latest requirements on Alibaba and Tencent to reserve for their deposits. Secondly, a look at Deutsche Bank. Has it turned the corner? And finally, Goldman Sachs, the handover of power from the last chief executive to the next. First, though, over to Gabriel in Hong Kong. It's an interesting development here, Gabe, with Alibaba and Tencent being told by the regulators that they need to reserve against their deposits. This is something that's been gradually coming over the past year or so, isn't it? But now it's gone full throttle. That's exactly right. The central bank has confirmed that starting in January next year, the big third-party payment groups, the online payment groups, of which Alibaba's finance affiliate Ant Financial and its Alipay service and Tencent's WeChat Pay rival service, they dominate the market. They will be forced to set aside 100% of the money that customers store on their platforms as reserves. And it essentially brings to an end an era of free money where they were paying zero interest on these funds that were deposited on their platforms, but they were able to then turn around and put that money with commercial banks in the interbank market and earn a pretty nice return. That era is now over because the central bank will be paying 0% on the reserves that they're requiring these payment groups to hold. To what extent is this kind of leveling the playing field with the commercial banks? And to what extent is it a concern about safety? It's both of those things. So we've seen a broader move by the regulators to, if you like, trim the sales of the payment groups to assert greater control. And one aspect of that was the central clearing requirement for online payments. So instead of maintaining a network of bilateral relationships between the payment groups and various commercial banks, all payments are now being centrally cleared through a newly created online payments clearinghouse. And that severs these relationships, these bilateral relationships. And now the reserve requirement is another aspect of trimming the sales where this free money, I think the regulator felt there was no good reason that they should be essentially acting like banks, but unlike banks, paying zero interest on their own deposits and the deposits that they receive. But in regards to the niche players, Apart from Alipay and apart from WeChat Pay, there's niche third-party payment groups. And there was a concern about safety where there were instances of embezzlement, of misuse of customer funds, where they were investing not just in relatively safe money market instruments, but taking the money and making risky investments and just diverting funds for other kinds of purposes. And so the reserve requirement is in part aimed at them. So it does serve those dual purposes. 
Finally, Gabe, just remind us how big and important these institutions are. They've been growing massively, haven't they? Yes. At this point, there's almost nothing in mainland China that cannot be paid for with either Alipay or WeChat or both. And it's not just consumption. It's not just restaurants and supermarkets and taxis. It is investments. It's wealth management products and insurance. So the payment volume is massive. It's growing very quickly. And I think what the regulator is saying, though, is that they want these companies to be in the business of profiting from the user data that they're able to collect and of generating merchant fees, transaction fees for the payments, but not collecting interest revenue from this free money that's stored on their platform. As a share of the revenue of whether it's Ant Financial or Tencent, the lost interest revenue here is relatively minor. But it's a signal from the regulator that they should focus on their core business. These are considered non-financial companies, actually. They're called non-financial deposits. So interest income, they don't want them to be in that business. Rob, I think you wanted to come in. Yeah, to talk to the big players, Alibaba and Tencent, they said it was never a part of their design to get into any kind of balance sheet intensive financial activity, and they would only get into those businesses to the extent it supported their customers in the payments business. Do you take that to be sincere, or do we think these guys maybe did have intentions around more traditional banking kind of activities or wealth management activities? I basically take them at their word, but they have ambitions in wealth management and financial services, but it's as an intermediary. It's as a portal between uh, wealth management institutions, between fund companies, between insurance companies, between commercial banks and the massive user base of these payment platforms. It is not, as you say, to be using Alipay or using Ant Financial and using Tencent's own balance sheet to generate revenues. So I think, yes, in part, the interest revenue from these deposits kind of fell into their lap. It wasn't by design, but they were certainly happy to collect that money, and it was not an insubstantial sum, at least by the standards of most companies. I mean, I had estimated very roughly that this could cost a billion dollars in revenue between these two major players in the payments market. So even for large companies, I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. Let me just bring in Martin for a final wrap-up on this. Martin, you're reasonably recently back from a trip to China where you went to see these companies. I just wonder what your takeaway is and whether there's broader lessons beyond China. I think so. I think it is incredible, as Gabe said, how embedded in everyday lives these companies have become. And the financial services part of what they do is almost hidden in the background, but they have become increasingly important players, particularly in the consumer side of financial services in China. But what I would say is that this is, I think, perhaps only the first step in what regulators could do to these companies in terms of forcing them to be regulated more like mainstream lenders. And certainly when you listen to the heads of some of Europe's biggest banks, like for instance, the chairman of BNP Paribas, Jean Lumiere, or the chief executive of Banco Santander in Spain, Anna Boutin, they argue that, look, if it walks like a deposit and it talks like a deposit and quacks like a deposit, then it should be regulated like a deposit. And these companies that are taking this money for payments or whatever are basically behaving like banks and they're getting a lot of the benefits of having consumers' money and and using consumers' money, but they're not regulated. They don't have all the burden of regulation. And as well as having to put this money on deposit at a commercial bank, they may, if the bankers get their way, face extra regulation and extra binding rules and regulations that tie them down even further. Definitely want to watch. 
Let's move on to our second topic and a look at Deutsche Bank, which put out what was formerly known as a profit warning, even though it was a positive bit of news this week. Ben, you wrote a Lex note on this topic. There's a rare bit of good news. I think the shares jumped something like 7% on the back of it. Is the market going crazy? Well, the market was certainly unprepared for this. Deutsche has, as you say, been putting out profit warnings for a long time, but they're normally of the standard variety of, oh, crikey, we're not going to make as much money as analysts think we are. In fact, going back to 2010, the first quarter, all of Deutsche's profit warnings have been of that nature. This is the first good surprise in that sense for eight years now. And there was a nice tweet I saw from Freefall Capital, no exit door when the time comes. That's his full title. And uh, that user said, I'm not sure what to think when DB is leading the market higher. So that's just a measure of the expectations for this bank, which are particularly low. And as you say, yeah, 7%, one of the top 10 moves of the past 10 years. And yes, the bottom line is going to be better than most analysts had expected, which is why they put out this note. But what about the quality of that beat? It looks like there's some exceptional items in there revaluing their own debt, which is you know something they have to do, but it doesn't really count for much. It's premature, surely, to call this the turnaround of Christian Serving, the new oh, chief executive. It certainly is. To quote another internet user below my note, there's somebody writing in capital letters, inflection point. I think that's ironic. This is, of course, not an inflection point. This is just a turn in the news flow. We're going to need another few quarters, at least, of signs that Christian Zewing's plan is really coming to fruition. In fact, I sort of attributed much of the good news in those numbers to um, Mr. Zewing. Perhaps that was unfair on John Cryan, who spent the past couple of years. As we know, in the end, it didn't work out for him, but he's been laying the groundwork for some of the positive figures we have seen. And as you say, the quality of that earnings improvement was of the least good kind. There was asset sales, there was that revaluation of the debt. That's the perverse accounting standard whereby if the market thinks you're more likely to go bust, you can book profits during the period. And the actual underlying numbers are a little worrying. The market's division down 15%. That's bigger than the Wall Street banks to have reported so far. And the investment bank, pretty flat, which is, I suppose, fine in the context of a bank like City, which also had a flat year. But it doesn't suggest that this cutting is going to come without a cost. Absolutely. And I suspect a volatile share price ahead. Very good. Let's move on to our final topic and a look at Goldman Sachs as Lloyd Blankfein prepares to hand the reins over to a successor. Rob, this is a bank you're going to have a lot more to do with in the future. And you've written an analysis piece or a business obituary of Mr. Blankfein. It is a bit of a moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And of course, the thing he will be most remembered for is being the head of the most famous Wall Street bank during Wall Street's biggest crisis in living memory. And by all accounts, under difficult circumstances, he was a good helmsman during the storm, known for staying calm, for rallying the troops, maintaining a sense of humor. You know, there's a lot more to his 12-year career at the helm than just 2008-9, but talking to a lot of partners at the bank and other figures on Wall Street yesterday, it's clear that those were hours where he really distinguished himself. Ben, you've just come back from covering this bank as part of your core beat. Would you agree with that assessment? Is this a turning point for Goldman going forward? Because the new man who's due to take over, David Solomon, is very much from the other side of Goldman's heritage, the advisory side. We've talked about him before. An interesting shift. Certainly. You could argue that Lloyd Blankfein coming up through the trading side, he left it pretty late to actually depart 
power tends to swing in investment banks to where the money's being made. And over the past seven or eight years, as Rob set out quite nicely in that piece today, the money has been sort of dribbling away from securities and more towards investment banking, which is why, of course, David Solomon, having run that business for the past few years, has now been elevated. Strategic pivots, it's interesting. Mr. Bank Fine over the past couple of years has been moving towards retail banking. And that's got a lot of investors worried that uh, Goldman's straying too far from its core. I think David Solomon, if he is confirmed as the next CEO, which we think very likely today, then he's going to have to do a very good job of explaining exactly why Goldman Sachs wants apparently to turn its back on its history over the past 150 years and to branch out in this new direction at a very critical point in the credit cycle. Well, let's leave it there. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Ben and Rob here in the studio and also Gabriel Wilder who joined us from Hong Kong. Thank you also for listening. Do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer50. You can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.